Hey, it's Shastin Rains, and welcome to Crosswalk Church. You're listening to Today's Presence, a podcast in which Pastor Tim hosts conversations about culture, daily life, and what the scriptures have to say. We desire to bring you encouragement and hope during this time. So once you finish this podcast, make sure to visit crosswalkvillage.com to find more information about our church and additional resources from our pastoral team. Welcome back, everybody. This is Sam and Tim. Tim and Sam. Hey, this is Sam. How are you all? Welcome that's, back. That's and when we're talk. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I said it and I realized that you literally had a cup up to your mouth and and I just stopped and waited. Um mm. yeah, we're we're in this journey talking about preaching. We want to talk about the mechanics of preparation. Um like and this this is so this we're gonna try and have fun with a topic that might not be that fun. Hey, um, if you've if you've not listened to the last couple of episodes, probably should because you know we've laid the ground. Yeah, for the, the philosophical and theological groundwork for this exactly. Well, so, so I was in, I was in. We're just jumping right in. Um, I was in, I was in college, and one of our one of our professors, who was a pastor in the area, brought us over to his house to his study. He had a. I was going to say an outhouse. That is not the word. He had a a. Um, a, a house outside, a little office, a detached de- office. There's a word I'm trying to look for. Well, um, a bathroom outside without plumbing. Because no. you went to school in the 1800s. <laughs> no, so he takes us to his, I think it was his pool house, quite honestly, but he had transformed it into his uh, his study. And um, just, he's one of these preachers who was just, you know, week after week, just doing a lot. He, he showed us his files and his file system. Mm. And, you know, I'm 20 years old. <laughs> I'm, I don't know how interested I am in being a pastor, being a preacher. Um, and he's pulling out every little article that he's found on a certain topic. And he's got it all topically put out for illustrations. Cause this guy would preach and he would preach for maybe two minutes he, he said never go more than two minutes without an illustration. So he had hundreds of thousands of tiny little illustrations. And I remember walking out of his house thinking, I can never do that. First of all, not organized. And to this day, I've never had a file folder that I've gone to consistently that didn't end up with a lot of like pocket change and <laughs> random cables <laughs> in it. I had literally have no files in my office. I've never been good at organizing like that. Um, but I just remember thinking, man, the, the amazing amount of stuff this guy has to keep his eye on because every mm. article clipping, every newspaper, like he would write down, he had this notebook that he would write down stuff when it happened. You know, I ran into somebody on the, the alpha beta market and I got a, you know, I wrote down the, it was a, it was overwhelming to me, you know, mm. clips of movies that he thought had a, had a, illustrational point and that sort of thing. I remember thinking, man, I'll never do that. And to this day, I've never done that just for the record. Mm -hmm. Like I, I've never been that kind of guy. Um, but, but that began me thinking about, okay, how do I prep? How do I prepare? And what do I actually do? So we want to talk about the mechanics of that specifically. So I'm going to ask a big question to begin, Sam, are you, uh, now in today's software world, are you a logos guy or are you a, an accordance guy? I'm logos. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it's um, it's it was it's a tool that was given to us um, generously by our employer back when I was a pastor a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, the organization was Pacific Union, bought it for every minister 
and um, about five years ago, and I've been using it since. Right. It's so incredible. You be, what are you? What are you? I'm a Logos. I, I got accordance um, actually from when I was adjuncting, as I adjunct in um, with one of our universities. They gave me accordance, and I, I just it. it uh, this mm. sounds horrible, but to me, it feels like a PC-based program. It was built in a PC ecosystem, which means I don't really understand it that well because I'm what is it? so a Mac guy forever. But I think it's fine. I just I, it's not as user-friendly for me. For people who don't know what we're talking about, Tim, what are we talking? What is this? We're talking about we're talking about um, we're talking about exegesis software. We're talking about how it what holds is commentaries. Exegesis is pulling out of the text. Um, and this is how you do the work in scripture, right? You go back to the Greek and you begin to exegete. So you begin to do the word study. You begin to pull out meaning from the text. Exegesis as opposed to eisegesis, which is when we are putting meaning into the text that was not necessarily there. So we we're not supposed good. to do, by the way. Eisegesis right. is bad. Right. We want to do good exegetical preaching, good exegetical preparatory work. And so there are certain software companies out there that have made certain softwares and the big two i think that people use by and large are logos or accordance and i'm a logos guy logos, yeah. logos. um so that's kind of what we're talking about and and it's a worthwhile investment for anyone because the amount of material that is available to you through that it's not that cheap means, it, and there's right. all kinds of module modules you can yeah. you can use you can yeah, you buy can to upgrade diamond, your the diamond pack for seven thousand dollars yeah 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 um but but there's a ton of tools out there because I teach I teach a class at um, Azusa Pacific University to nurses and one day we just spend on the discipline of study and so I try and teach people to do a little bit of exegesis so there's net.bible.org there's Blue Letter Bible there's um, there's Bible.com honestly that has a ton of stuff there's there's a lot of material out there and the the more you do it the more you recognize that you can begin to you can begin to um, understand the sources a little bit because when you start, you're just overwhelmed by the amount of material that's there. So you just start quoting from commentaries and then you realize, well, there's better commentaries and there's worse commentaries. There's commentaries that jibe with, you know, a Wesleyan kind of theology as opposed to, you know, a different uh, other kind of theology or more, more Baptist kind of theology. So, so you have to kind of begin to discern through that. Hmm. Yeah. What's, which, so co which commentaries are you, are your go-to right now? Cause you know, by the way, um, some of these sources change over time for me too. I, I've been heavily into one set of commentaries for some time, and then I'm like, ah, I like this one better, and um, back and forth. Which which set of commentaries are you into right now? So I I love Stott's commentaries. Yes. Yeah. You can see him behind me. Can you see him behind right. me? Right. Right so. there. They're the ones with the green up at the top. Um, we were gifted <clears throat> those by a wonderful a wonderful man as well. Were you were right or did you? Buy I was. Them? Yes, that was part yeah, of a we gift. All, yeah, we were gifted those and. Um, that's a blessing because I love John Stott's exegesis. I think he's just so thoughtful and thorough, which is really important. And then, and then on Logos, honestly, on Logos, it, it, it'll change a little bit depending on the text that I'm using. Um, I, you know, one of my favorite commentaries on Romans is always going to be Karl Barth's a shorter commentary on Romans. Mm. Um, mm. You know, I don't always go everywhere he goes, but the work that he did, was pretty powerful specifically in response to like the law gospel debate but that may be getting too much in the weeds but um yeah. what you need is you need to learn how to read companion text to the text right you need to learn how to mm -hmm. read commentaries and because we're not from a roman catholic tradition you probably don't use roman catholic as much there's certainly seventh-day Adventist commentaries correct yes 
Well, there's one. The the accepted established um Seventh Avenue's commentary. Um, because I'll be honest with you, I don't I haven't referenced it in a long time. Um, but it is but it is there. It is in my shelves and um you can access it online too, very easily. Yeah. Um it's it's helpful. It's helpful to know where we've been in our thinking mm-hmm. about about some 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 things. But um that one was edited. The last edit was in the 50s, I think. Yeah, it's a, so it's it's it a little, work. You can you can feel it's sub, sub, it's kind of dated in yeah. not just in its language, but also in the some of the interpretations, um some of the exegesis is yeah. But there's so much material out there. You know, you, you got to kind of find what resonates with your voice as a preacher and with with your with your theology that you really understand and what your congregation needs because that's important as well. We don't write sermons for ourselves, although we are often we often speak to ourselves in those sermons. We write sermons for the communities to which we speak. Yeah. And I think yeah. I think as a philosophical point, that's really important for preachers. Um, yeah. I I rarely use a sermon in exactly the same way or same format or same, um, like with a different congregation. I mean, we Mm. all have our greatest hits, right? That we go and give. Yes. But to me, that normally has to do with illustrations and that sort of thing. It doesn't have to do with what that congregation needs right then. And so if you're a, if you're a new preacher, when you're going into a place that you don't know, you got to ask the people, Hey, what's going on in the community? Cause I want to make sure I'm relevant and I can speak to what's happening. What's actually happening in the community that you've asked me to speak to. Yes. Agreed. Yes. But, so, but I'm going to ask a really, can I ask a really like baseline question, Sam, when you, when you sit down to write a sermon, what programs do you have open and what oh. you see on your screen. I mean, I want to. I want to be that like that elementary. Wow, really? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, well, I'll tell you this. Before I begin uh, writing a sermon, um, you you just referenced this, and I want to make sure we go back to because I think it's crucial. Um, I think about very careful about the audience I'm going to speak to. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very, very carefully. Um, do you this write is, that on the top of your page so that can no, remind you? Well, for a long time, what I would do is I would write down the names of people, actual people. Oh, wow. Um, that, it, that's when I was in the regular pulpit here uh, where I was pastoring at La Sierra um, University. I mean, by the way, remember, my primary audience was 18 to 22-year-olds for 20 years. So, right. <laughs> so this is probably why you and I um, evolved differently in our style of preaching. Although people say we have a very similar style, I think I illustrate a whole lot more than you do. Um, and we can talk about that in a minute. Yeah, we'll critique each other's style for sure. <laughs> for a long time, I actually I actually would write the names of people I knew would be in the audience. And so that I knew what they were going through. So my mind was always on um, why this would be relevant to them and how to make mm-hmm. it relevant to them. Um, I would always think about what what complex theological issue am I going to tackle that needs to be um, explained in a simplified way enough that anyone can grasp it? Right? And that is different than watering something down. Let's be Ab- clear. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. please don't, clarity, don't hear it that way. Yeah. Clarity is not dilution. Right. Exactly. There's, um, there's a this assumption that people come to a sermon with the same tools to understand what you're saying or the same background or... Uh, prerequisite, you know, reading or uh, the same um, access to 
lexicon <laughs> vocabulary <laughs> right they don't and especially the context i was preaching in um you had you know some students that came from a, a well-rounded bible education and others who had no clue what anything to do with religion spirituality that language had to do with you know they just have would never been exposed to it so so i always my heart and my tendency and my you know, I always tended towards the 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 people who had just needed to come along. I catch them up. That was always right. my my intention. So I would put these names down, you know, and I would actually begin with that. That's like open a word document, mm -hmm. write down the names of people who I'm talking to, and then um, once I made the transition to biblical preaching, then I would actually cut and paste the actual texts into a word document. Mm -hmm. And I would just read that several times, and so I would, so I knew, okay, this is the thread I'm picking up from these texts. Or, uh, by the way, once I was done with my lectionary experiment, which I talked a little bit about in our last episode, mm -hmm. my revised lectionary experiment, I would, I would um, choose one text, and then I would just paste it on a document, read it, try to read it in context, read it, um, you know, chapter before, chapter after. Right. Um, and, and only then I would go, and I still do, I would, I go to the commentaries. Right. Once I, once I've read it personally and I've, and, and the spirit has led me to what the, you know, what I think are the gems at that moment. Um, then I would go to the commentaries. And by the way, as you said in a previous episode, what stands out to you if, from the same text, preaching it even a year later or a couple years is, is sometimes completely different. Yeah. And it's not, crazy. by the way, some people always, I had, I had someone say, why are you always saying, you thought this text said this? Well, it actually says this. Why are you always doing this to us? <laughs> um, well, it's not that. It's not, we're not addicted to the cult of novelty when we study scripture. It's just that, listen, the spirit is showing you something new and amazing. Like the, <laughs> like the, like the, you know, the, like the rabbis say, it's like the, the Bible is like a diamond. You're, you're constantly turning it. And right. something more amazing and beautiful is, is, is being exposed to you when you're doing that. The, pro the biggest problem is when we hold it stationary and we don't allow, we don't keep turning it. That's right. Oh, that's you, good. You've never, seen, you've never seen a newly engaged young woman walk into a room and holding her engaged, gigantic engagement diamond stationary. <laughs> they move it around so the light refracts and blinds you. <laughs> right. It's true. That's so good, man. There's so many different facets to every single piece of scripture, right? Layer upon layer, right? Deep upon deep, which is so important. And you you could be in a different place in life and yeah. hearing and reading it differently. Absolutely. And this is why the, you know, the rabbinical schools would sit down and they would discuss and they would argue and they would fight about scripture and what it means. And they would quote earlier rabbis and, and that sort of thing. Um, I think it's so fascinating. So do you do, do you like do like a historical study first when you sit down or do you go right to interpretation? Cause I have a tendency to sit down and go, okay, what was going on? No, I just need to know like the context of what was happening in the culture, what was happening at the time, what this disciple or apostle was, was thinking, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So no, I do, I do the historical context for sure. Because you, if you don't understand what, what the, where that, where that text you're studying is seated in history, Right. It's going to be really difficult to make it relevant to today. Um, right. 
So you got to understand where it's at. And right. Go ahead. Go ahead. So I was so, going to say it's hard to know. It's hard to know. You said go ahead, and then you kept talking. Because <laughs> I thought you paused. Because <laughs> we're professionals. <laughs> um, you you got to know what it meant to know what it means. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. So text week, by the way, which you referenced. Did you reference text week or blue letter Bible? Blue letter Bible. Yeah. Text week is text week has dot com. Um, they should be our sponsors right now for saying this. Um, they had, they have amazing historical, um, resources you, and you can actually read what all the, what biblical scholars have been saying for almost two millennia about that text. Wow. Um, so you can, you can follow a thread. You could spend a year preparing for one sermon by reading all those, all those resources. Yeah. Um, they give you the historical context and then you can, you get, you get commentary placed historically. So you understand uh, how everyone has interpreted it through history. Wow. Uh, fascinating stuff. How about you, yeah. Tim? What do you do? Give me, yeah. give me like your first steps. I, I open up. Um, okay. So that's actually, that's interesting. That's change. And this depends on the room that I'm preaching in. If you want to know the truth, because like crosswalk has a particular setup of our technology and I've become very comfortable in the way that I, um, engage in my, in my conversation. So it used to be, um, and it kind of is right now because the technology is a little bit different and we've been manuscripting a little bit more since COVID started. I've been more completely manuscripting. Um, but there, I, now I open a pro presenter. And I will build my sermon in ProPresenter. I will also have a, a pages document open uh, to, to do kind of a deeper dive with the text. And then I also have my um, web browser because I'm using Logos on the web. Um, and I have that open to begin to work with the text as well. And so I'm jumping between those things because I've got to create the visuals as I go along. I'm not good at preparing the whole thing and then going back and creating the visuals. I'll miss the important parts. So it kind of has to be in the moment. So that's why I have ProPresenter open. And I'm also doing the notes section because as you are a manuscript preacher, by and large, I am not. I put on transitions, important points that I need to remember. You know, I'll say this illustration mm -hmm. here and I won't write out that illustration, which has to do with finding your voice. When I come up with an illustration, I now know how it's going to sound, but that's because I've preached too much probably. So I know how I'm going to tell mm -hmm. that story and what's going to be funny and how I can make that happen, whatever. Um, so those are, those are the tools that I have open when I begin. But every once in a while, especially when I use Stott, I take us, I take Stott out of my, um, out of my bookshelf and I sit down in a chair away from my desk Yes, and I just read the commentary. And I, I love those moments, but I find myself becoming very anxious because I'm reading it and I'm like, that's so good. That's so good. I'm underlining. That's so good. I need to go write that down. I'm like, no, I want the discipline of reading through this whole commentary on this particular text. And then I get up and write as quickly as I can. That's so funny. I do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I will take I will take the commentary, especially thoughts, and uh -huh. I'll go to the living room and sit down with a cup of coffee or tea yeah. or whatever, and I'll read it. And I and I'm always also going through the stress of Am I going to forget this? This yeah. is so good. I need to underline. I need to write this down. And um and I actually do. Actually, I don't do what you do. By the way, by the way, <laughs> Kindle Kindle mostly or actual books? Mm. No. Uh, these commentary, the stock commentaries, I do actual right. books, but everything else is either Logos or or um, 
online. I also have a browser open with um, some of the materials I read from. Yeah. Um, but not, I don't, I don't do Kindle. That's not where I'm at. That's, I started Kindle in our doctoral program at the beginning, kind of in 2000, early, late 2000, well, 2010, 2008, 2010. And I've stayed with Kindle. So I, I have very few books. Now everything's on, on a Kindle and an iPad mm. that I use as a companion as well. And then just port it over. Um, but I also, when I'm going to go into a series, I also usually go and buy five or six books having to do with that particular mm. text or ancillary books. Like for instance, we're in faith by design. So I have a pretty significant library on design thinking and innovation and experience design. Um, so I've, I've become familiar with that kind of whole discipline that is going to be a bit of an overlay or a bit of a, a framework for the biblical work that we're going to do as well. If that what, makes what, sense. What would you say? So what would you say about, we need to address this now, the critique of using sources that are not related to scripture, maybe don't come from authors that are, yeah, you just, you just said you use sources that are, that have nothing, that are not, I should say they have nothing to do, but are not commentaries on scripture. And by mm. the way, we can begin all the way at one end, which is the people who say you should never read sources outside of your own denomination. Right. Those cannot be trusted all the way to um, what, why are you trusting secular sources to inform the sermon you're going to prepare for to preach this, you know, <laughs> this week? Uh, talk about that, Tim. That's interesting. I think it's a question of relevancy. Um, and I, listen, I don't, I don't worship on the idol of relevancy because I, say, I think that scripture is deeply relevant. But because scripture is deeply relevant, it means that it can encapture a lot of other things that might not seem like they're biblical, right? So I, let's look at it this way. Have you ever heard a piece of music that hit you so hard that you know like the Holy Spirit is working through that piece of music, but that piece of music has nothing to do with scripture? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you have a religious experience from it. You have a spiritual experience from it. Why yeah. do we limit God to only the religious things? Because, you know, everything... Everything is sacred. Everything is part of this the sacred work or world that God has given us, right? The bifurcation between secularism, if you will, or the secular things and the religious things, we've done that. You know, is a tomato religious? No, but is it spiritual? Absolutely. Was it created by God? That whole system was. So, you know, when I find truth that speaks to me spiritually, I think we can find it everywhere when, you know, with just thinking about design thinking and that sort of thing, um, which is like, again, is kind of the, the kind of the, um, the, the frame that we're talking about through this series. Um, I'm reading this stuff about design thinking and I'm like, why this is a God given way. This is a God given language, a way to think about our life that engineers are doing and the designers are thinking. And why don't people of faith engage in this conversation a little bit so that we can help form a faith life that's maybe not so haphazard. Of course, mm -hmm. we had done that, right? We called the spiritual disciplines and all those types of things that are part of us becoming, creating a spiritual life that has discipline, that it looks a certain way, that, that brings us towards more compassion, generosity, grace, benevolence, those types of things. 
why wouldn't we have a system of doing that? We don't have a language. So when I was studying this stuff, which was, by the way, way before this series, um, when I began to study this when I was working in healthcare, all of a sudden I'm like, this is giving, this is giving language to things I've always known about in my spirituality, but I haven't been, I didn't have the right kind of language for it. So the pairing of those mm -hmm. two things was a deeply spiritual experience for me. Pretty incredible, I think. As opposed to, as opposed to, well, that has nothing to do with this. And as a preacher, you know that you use illustrations yeah. all the time that are not just church illustrations, right? And your kids know that too, because we all use our kids as illustrations. Yeah. Does that make I, sense? That was a long answer. I apologize. Oh no, yeah, and our kids, our, our kids are sometimes not completely secular. We just love our kids, so they're always <laughs> right. at the top of. The, um, <clears throat> no, I, look, th this is I crossed that bridge. A long time ago, the right. the first of the you know when we begin at one end, the sources can only be the, your sources for study, preparing, preaching, whatever can only come from um, our, our approved denominational publishing houses or authors or whatever. <clears throat> I knew early on that that can yeah. like God cannot be limited that way. Truth has got to the, the whole earth is full of God's glory, says the psalmist. Right. So there's got to be more to learn everywhere and when you and when you um and when you cross that bridge you begin to read scripture differently by the way because you can find paul even saying himself yeah quoting cretan prophets who mm -hmm. pagans he's saying yeah. even even there like why is that in the bible right. um so you know and when he tells the uh, you know the athenians even your even your own um even your own prophets are saying this to be true about god so I don't, I don't think, I don't stress about that. Um, I don't, I don't want to depend on those sources, right. but I think they are certainly full of truth that we can, we can sc just scoop up the truth and yeah. bring it in. Here's, here's another thing about, I think that is important about this, uh, Tim, is I think that the, the good preaching is constantly expanding the, the borders in our understanding and um, as the preaching Preaching has to allow our faith box to grow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, because the options are always, the options that we sometimes give people are so limited. We say anything, anything outside this box that we've given you is profane and cannot be trusted. And then it, it leaves them with two very difficult options. If they find something, like you say, a, a song that is deeply meaningful and it's and they find it spiritual and they find it me like helps them through a tough time they're going through and and we say no that's profane or that's secular whatever doesn't belong then they've got to choose to go with the song and leave behind the box of of whatever truth we've right. given them or stay with the box and deny that that song is meaningful right and and that Which choice does. has led has led people to a whole lot of pain Right. Let me give you, let me give you a good example. Um, early on, I shouldn't say early on, but um, I was asked by a young pastor, we were using, we were using a song that was a secular song, right? Um, for a sermon series. And I had this, this young pastor who couldn't, cause he was supposed to introduce the song and he couldn't do it. He called me up at four in the morning saying, man, I've been struggling with this. I can't do it. I don't know that we should use this. Da, 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 da. He really was struggling with it. And, um, and so I was like, okay, you don't have to. I said, but I need you to, I need you to listen when I introduce it. Because I think I can help you understand why we're using this piece and where it's getting us to. Um, because it's not a standalone piece, right? And and 
so when I introduced it, I said, listen, we have to, we have to decide whether God is a God who's over everything or just over our thing, right? Is God a God who transforms culture or is God a God who is anti-culture or is God a God who is destroying culture or is God invested in all of this? right? And God sometimes reclaims things that at once we thought weren't of God, and sometimes they become of God because those attachments that we have to those things change. And um, yeah. it was interesting because after the, after the sermon, after it was all together, um, this young pastor came to me and he was like, I get it now. I didn't understand before. I thought you were just using this as a tool. Now, here's the thing I do have an issue with. So there's been a lot of times, and in fact, even earlier in, in, in the iteration of Crosswalk, certainly before I got here, they would do like um, Crosswalk at the movies. And they would exegete a movie. Um, and I don't know if they did it in church or if they did it as a like an ancillary um, study thing or what they were doing, but they would exegete a movie. I actually don't believe in that, yeah. right? We exegete scripture. And if a movie speaks into the truth that we find in scripture, go ahead and use it as an illustration. But I'm not going to spend people's time exegeting a movie that maybe didn't have the same purpose that scripture did. Yeah. Can we use that piece of culture to understand scripture better? Very possibly. I don't think those two things are mutually exclusive, but I'm not going to, the premise of what I'm going to do in the pulpit is not going to start or be encapsulated by a piece, a, a cultural artifact necessarily. Yeah. If it, yeah. if we can use it as something to understand scripture more profoundly than yes, but, and, and maybe that's what they were doing. So I don't want to harp on anything and decisions that were made before it just from the advertising, it kind of struck me as like, ah, I don't know if I would do it that way. Yeah, there, there's we we've seen attempts at as you said relevancy that are at times effective, sometimes painful, painfully not, and um, that there's there's some serious pitfalls there for sure. Yeah. Look, I so I I don't think sourcing sourcing of illustrations is really the issue, or maybe sourcing of material for sermons. Um, I, I don't think my our aim has ever been um, to be more relevant, but, but just more, to be more clear. How does this relevancy is a relevancy is a difficult word. I mean, I, um, the gospel is always relevant. Scripture is always relevant. Um, how we the expository preaching of it is is um, where where we really should spend our time. I do think, by the way, one exception. I do think that. As I said in a previous episode, I think audience is is crucial. Who you're speaking to, um, yeah. and I think that's less about relevancy, more about um, awareness of who who the listener is. Bro, let um, me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story. Okay, well, let's, let's see what those stories. Yeah, yeah. Let's tell some, so we got a lot of preaching stories. So um, early, early on in my career, bro, like I was six months into my church, my first church down in San Diego. You invited me to come up and speak at a Friday night thing that you were doing for young adults. I don't know if you remember this because um, we've preached a lot in front of each other. But so I was super excited, drove up from San Diego. Um, and I, I did this sermon that kind of killed. It was it was funny. I had this illustration about a guy getting ready for a date that was just a little over the top. And by a little, I mean, probably way too much over the top, but your young adults ate it up, man. It was phenomenal. And, um, I was preaching the next day at my church in San Diego and, um, I was associate pastor down there and I got to preach like 
this is maybe the second time I was preaching at the church. Um, cause I did the first one, my first week. And then, you know, they don't let you preach as a young pastor forever. Um, and then, and so I was up, so I'm driving home and I had kind of worked out my sermon for the church service. Um, but I thought, you know what, this went so well. I think I'm going to do, I think I'm going to do this sermon. I think that's where I need to go. Right. Fully convicted of that as I'm driving the three hours down to San Diego. So I don't know. Does it take three hours to get to San Diego? An hour and a half. Yeah. I don't, it didn't take me three hours. <laughs> Just felt, felt like it. Um, so, so the next morning I get in the pulpit and I, I do the same sermon and it was a horrible choice. Mm. It was it, that audience of mainly upper middle age to older people in the congregation, um, a lot more conservative than the young people are going to be. Mm. Um, I didn't really know them that well. That whole illustration of a guy getting ready for a date fell so flat. And I was not yet at the point where I could read an audience. I thought, oh, mm. I just need to go harder. Not maybe this is not hitting that I need to turn directions. So I just went harder in. Dude, I got maybe 40 pages of anonymous quotes. Ooh. Well, not anonymous quotes. The quotes were from um, from Sister White. But um, 40 pages anonymously left at my doorstep, which was surprising because I don't know. I didn't know that anybody knew where I lived. Um, the next morning had been dropped off early before 6 a.m. Wow. of how um, a, a a preacher shouldn't be a silly man and a silly man has no place to be in the pulpit. I can't remember all of them. First time I had gotten that, I was devastated. And it was very much, cause it was very much a personal attack of like, you should never be in the pulpit. One of, one of the things that the person wrote are, is, are you trying to send our kids to hell? Um, which the answer was no, I was not trying. Um, <laughs> it was, it was pretty, it was, you know, the first time you get one of those as a preacher, it's pretty devastating. Mm. And so, so, yeah, knowing your audience makes a huge difference. Yeah. Wow. Right? Wow. Yeah, it was brutal. What was the first what was the first like real pushback you got? Oh, wow. Um that was early on, man. That was that was in my first year of um I got my first letters after probably first second or third. But you know, but I was the church I was assigned to when I first went into ministry was a small church. Can I say, I'm just going to say in the South, the South of the country, um, full of a lot of retired um, denominational employees. <laughs> okay. Career denominational employees. It's a recipe. Um, some of them had authored a, a few of the books on my shelves um, and they were, they were very kind to the young preacher, but they had a lot to say about uh, about some of my early preaching. But look, I was messy. Yeah, in my early days, <laughs> I've, I've read some of my first sermons, and I cringe. I cringe a little bit about some of the things that I was um, doing and saying. Um, but you know, um, the the audience audience relevance. I think, um, or thinking through who you're speaking to and how, to, I think we should devote more time in the next episode about how to read an audience and the importance of resonance mm -hmm. um, and how to adapt. Now, I know people are going to think, Sam, you, you're talking about adapting. How do you adapt if you've got a manuscript you've written? Um, well, there are ways to adapt, even if you have a manuscript. There, yeah. There's places you can jump to 
there's an illustration that you've always got in your back pocket that you can go to or a tangent that can take longer. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's ways that you can do that. And I have done that, but I want, I want to tell, look, I want to, I want to tell you this one story. Mm, yeah. Um, about how, or maybe I should say it for the next episode. I should say it for the next episode. I'll begin the next episode with this one. Oh, okay. Awesome. That'll be, that'll be like the way, you know, maybe. All right. I What's our number? What are yeah. we at now? What's our number? What's our minute? Minute count. Oh, are we talking about this out loud on the recording? Yeah. Because we're normally, 30... you, normally you do a bunch of stuff with like, I'm supposed to be reading your lips and I can't tell. <laughs> we're at 36 minutes, 37 minutes. Okay. So that this... feels like about right. So yeah. the, my takeaways from this one is that, um, you know, preparation, preparation is very particular to every pastor, but you need to have something that's pretty consistent and you need to be able to discern between the sources that you read. And you're going to have to invest a little bit of, a little bit of, um, hard-earned cash on some software programs that you can become very familiar with. Yes. Did I take much, too much from that? No, that is great. That is great. Yeah. Develop a routine. A routine is important. Um, and, and stick to it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Hey, this is Sam and Tim, uh, Tim and Sam on preaching. That's what we've been talking about for the last three episodes. And uh, we've got a few more to go. So uh, we're looking forward to being with you again soon because we're going to start the next one with a uh, Sam story time. This is Tim and Sam, Sam and Tim. Thanks a lot.